Hello and welcome to another episode of Block Talk, presented by Theatre in the Now. I'm your host as always, Michael Block. Before we begin, a few reminders. Want to support Theatre in the Now? Head on over to patreon.com slash theatre in the now and become a patron of the website today. And as always, follow us on Twitter and visit theaterinthenow.com for the latest news, reviews, and interviews. here today for a very special edition of Block Talk, talking with Josh Young. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm excited because today is Easter, even though this is going to be um, published a couple days later, but it's gorgeous out. It is a nice day. I went running today. It's, it's uh, very, very Eastery. I don't really know what that means, but it, it's, it's just, it's nice. Everyone's allowed to wear bright colors for once. That's true. We, there we don't were... have to do the dark tones and more in the weather a lot of pastels yes lots of pastels including what i'm wearing today yeah yeah it's, it's all coming together uh, existentially yes uh so we are here to talk about your big fundraiser coming up why don't you tell everyone uh just the facts before you dive into the nitty-gritty <laughs> um so I'm the artistic, besides being a playwright, I'm the artistic director for a theater company uh, called the Playwriting Collective. We've been around for a while, but we got we became an official non-for-profit uh, last year, and we are fundraising, um, and we are uh, a theater company that is expressly aimed at supporting voices and stories and narratives uh, from lower class backgrounds, lower economic backgrounds, um, and so we've been, our momentum has been pretty good, and we're uh, playwright-driven. So we are very, we support work that's what we call transmedia. So a lot of our pieces try to be, uh, we use puppetry and we use projections. Um, so you know, uh, as a theater company, we've uh, we've we've been kind of going at it for for a while now, but we've been picking up a little bit more momentum. And as I've learned, the more momentum you pick up to do shows and a variety of other things, you have to uh, have some some money in the bank. Uh, and we don't have any sort of rich uncles or aunts funding the sure, company. Sure. So, um, and until uh, we get more revenue coming in from grants or revenue that's coming from shows, we've not, uh, of course, done any of that. The majority of the funding has just been from me uh, and just the jobs that I work. Uh, so we did a fundraiser last year, and now we're doing a fundraiser of a different kind. Uh, it's called Godzilla vs. Mike's Girlfriends. It is, uh, a, it was a, the jumping off point was a script I had written a while ago. Uh, but it'll be at Dixon Place for one night. It's an hour-long show. It's at 10. People can drink. They can go to the bar, bring their drinks in. And then, uh, of course, we, the company, will get... Uh, Dixon Place uh, takes uh, a good cut, as they should. We love Dixon Place. It's one of my favorite places to put up work in the city. Uh, and then the money that comes back to us will go to the company. And then, obviously, we'll have a sign-up at the beginning and at the end. And uh, so people can go to our website and donate to us. It's all tax deductible. So the idea is to not only raise funds, but also raise awareness of the company um, so that we can continue our outreach and find writers, especially who identify as coming from a lower economic background, uh, because surprisingly, it is extraordinarily uh, hard to find people to date, uh, other than myself and the other artistic director, um, finding someone who is from that background, sure. in, who is in the arts or Working in the arts is very difficult, so we're trying soon to reach out to 
um, people still in school, high school places, not just in the city, but in rural parts of America, places like the Rust Belt, the South, um, so that people can learn uh, that the arts, including playwriting, is an option for them and that they don't just have to think of the arts as not an option. Absolutely. Well, we're going to talk more about um, your company soon, but let's learn about you. Ah, okay. The fun stuff. I, I I don't really talk about myself that much. That's that's provocative. What 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 do I say well, about myself? Well, let's let's start off. Where are you from? I'm originally from Columbus, Ohio. And what got you into the world of theater? Uh it's actually pretty interesting. I got into theater uh, years ago. I when I was 15, I had a skull fracture, and so before that, I had been uh, predominantly uh, I had been I had an interest in the arts, but again, coming from the background that I was from, I never really thought of the arts as, you, you, even by the time I was a kid 30 years ago, uh, the arts in, in these kinds of environments were frowned upon. You know, it was already sure, the, the trends of anti-intellectualism. I was lucky in that my parents were, were kind of bright despite being young and their, their sort of circumstances. So they kept me sort of artistically engaged. But that said, I was always into... Um, sports. I was, uh, by the time I was a teenager, I was really into competitive judo and wrestling. And, um, but I had, uh, gotten hit, I got into a car accident. I had a skull fracture. And so literally on a whim, I walked into the school's, uh, theater department. And by this time I went, I went to high school. So in an almost Dickensian fashion, I had a benefactor take me out of public school, send me to a good high school that had a theater program. Uh, I walked Literally, skull fracture, I can't do sports, I can't wrestle, I can't do judo. I'm like, well, what do I do? Because I, if I did, where I was from, if you didn't have something to do with your spare time, you could end up in a variety of sort of bad circumstances. So I'm like, well, I'll go check out this theater thing. I auditioned for a play, and I got cast. At, it was The play was called The Lady Cries Murder, and I got cast as... Um, like a thug, like because <laughs> at the time I was, I got cast especially because I the lead, I could pick him up with one arm like this. Oh God! Uh, he's a real tiny guy, and uh, so so I was like a muscle bound freak at the time. And uh, then I got I got cast, and uh, that was how I got started. Awesome! So you, that's the beginning of the theater. Where did you go to school, and what did you study? For college, mm-hmm. I went to NYU. Uh, I double majored in cinema studies. I went as a cinema studies major, and then I picked up a th- another theater major in Tisch. Um, first person to double major in Tisch history. And how many people have done it since? Do you I have know? no idea. They gave me, it's it's funny, it's actually a point of contention. NYU at the time, this is 99 into 2000, uh, NYU uh, officially discouraged me from, from double majoring in Tisch. Especially one of those majors being theater. They said it was too prestigious, and they didn't want to, they didn't think that it was... I had a lot of problems with my uh, advisor, but I was officially discouraged double major within Tish. But I got accepted into both programs, so sure. I said, "Fuck it!" So you should let me. That's interesting that they would wouldn't want their students to you know like excel at what they're good at. Uh, I mean, I don't want to. I, I loved <laughs> I loved my college experience. I got to be careful because uh, there's an error on my transcript, and I have to like go to them soon and be like, "Hey, you guys got to fix this." I actually had a great time at NYU again due to this sort of Dickensian benefactor. I was able to offset. But would otherwise be for someone from my background and a completely cost prohibitive tuition, and uh, but um, I had a great deal of trouble with the bureaucracy there. The curriculum, especially the cinema studies department, I would recommend till the day I die. It was opened my mind in ways, uh, especially again coming from a, a very different background. A lot of people 
made me feel like an adult, helped me appreciate the arts. And the theater degree um, I, I was great. And I was surrounded by great people, people I still stay in touch with. The bureaucracy at the time, especially my particular advisor, who I think was actually fired because of her being a bad advisor. Um, yeah, she was, it was peculiar, uh, discouraged. She said um, that the, the, the general idea being that the theater major especially was too, too prestigious and should be too hard to do to add another Tisch major. Fascinating. Fascinating. So post-graduation, what's the journey? What, what did you pursue after you graduated? Um, I, interestingly, my first job right out of college took me back to the Midwest for a little while. I was, uh, writing and delivering speeches. I should mention, um, in college, uh, I had already started working and it's still, and this ties into my sort of trade and profession, um, I was sort of a, I did a lot of lighting electric like to to right. help buoy to make money uh I worked as a lighting electrician a projectionist a projection like that stuff started working as a freelancer in college um the bulk of it being I worked as a projectionist and I did a lot of lighting electrician work I did graduate and uh I did you know I I, I was a kid at the time trying to figure things out and I remember having an opportunity and I despite doing the tech stuff I always wanted to be a playwright or a writer I learned those things just to make money uh, and just to facilitate putting up shows. So I got this job writing and delivering speeches in the Midwest. Uh, it started off with a, uh, um, like a trade school, and then I got hired by Monster.com and then uh, Chase Bank, of all things, uh, <laughs> to go and deliver speeches about how to like, get into and pay for college. Sort of a weird combination of like motivational speaking and um, like educational speaking. Sure, sure. Uh, and... Um, that eventually brought me, but then like I think a year and a half, I was then back. The same gig brought me back to New York, and then once I got here, um, I it wasn't paying enough for to live in New York, so I went back to working as a tech person. And, and how long after that did uh, the Playwriting Collective begin? I suppose theoretically, the Playwriting Collectives technically began um, in two thousand and eight. Uh, a lot of the people um, who still do work with us, like my friend Alex Tichy. Um, we didn't call it that back then. Uh, I think that that name first got bandied about between 2012 and 2013. Gotcha. Much, much later. Uh, but I did my first show, the, my, the first play that I had written um, went up uh, through Horse Trade at the Crane in 2008. Um, and What show was this? It was called The Wolf from McCovery, Ohio. Okay. Uh, it was a weird little, of course, this is why I went to the horse trade. It was just a weird little play about um, uh, uh, someone's friend who comes from the Midwest to live with this person in the city and uh, sort of gaslights this person who is sort of on the, the verge of, has issues with schizophrenia. So the, the premise being is that like the worst thing to do to someone who's paranoid is lie to them. And then say, I'm not lying, you're paranoid. Sure. And then the paranoid person finds out their paranoia is accurate. So it's sort of a story about like what gaslighting can do to someone who's uh, on the, the fringe psychologically. So you also do this amazing extensive reading series with The Collective. Yes. Uh, talk about that a little bit. Oh, I'd love to. I, so I love, I have a deep, deep affinity, uh, allegiance almost, to, to the playwright. And you know, despite the fact that The Playwriting Collective has this, this strong... Uh, deep connection with our desire to support stories from lower economic backgrounds. 
the first thing we say in our mission statement is that, that we're playwright driven. So other than doing shows, um, and we, you know, we, we just did a show of mine. We're going to do another show of the artistic, the other artistic directors, uh, next year, but we also have ongoing programming. Um, the linchpin of which the, is this, the first draft reading series. It's, ex- it's expressly designed to, cause there's, as I'm sure you've noticed, and I'm sure as your listeners will know, the, um, the industry in terms of everyone having readings and workshop readings, and it's almost become a plague. Uh, in terms of how many readings floods flood the market, right? Um, so what we did is acknowledge that there's a double-edged sword with that. I actually appreciate the idea of having a reading, having an audience, giving a show some legs to have people come, um, but I didn't want to make it more than it is. So we decided, well, what if we call it the first draft reading series? A playwright can come. They won't have huge expect, you know, there's no guarantee that by having this reading of ours, it's going to suddenly, you know, next week it'll be at the rattlestick. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, we'll bring, depending on what the piece is and the content of the piece, we'll invite people we know from the business or the industry to come if they think we might have, they might have an interest. Um, and we'll also invite other playwrights so they can give very healthy feedback and just a broad audience, friends of ours, actors. It's at Jimmy's number 43, which we love. We absolutely, I love that place. Um, where I've met also, I mean, that's like kind of a cauldron of bright theater, right. theater makers down there. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, now that also started, I think our first read that, that reading series actually started in 2014. It picked up its greatest momentum in 20, it became monthly. It was basically two or three times a year in 2014 and 2015. And then it became monthly in 2016. Uh, and we've been, it's been great. Uh, I've, I've met, I've developed friendships and we've had wonderful playwrights. Um, we've had, uh, Amelia Workman, who's a very popular actress. We premiered her, we did a, a, her first play. Um, Leah Romeo, who I absolutely adore. Uh, she has a project coming up, the Skeleton Rep. Uh, Cecilia Copeland. We've done Libby Emmons. Uh, really, really great playwrights. Mm-hmm. People from our group, ECC, um, and some of the shows are, have have gotten legs in other in other areas. Marcy Lovich's show uh, was just up last year, so it does. It is sort of a, a we're we're proud that it is becoming sort of a both a reputation in terms of what it, it attracts as a, a, a what it was designed to be the birthplace of your play. And how does someone get involved? How does someone submit? Ah, as a playwright or as an actor or director, how do they get involved with this amazing project? Um, they can just email uh, us at the uh, the playwriting collective at gmail.com or you can go to our website at the playwriting collective.com. Uh, all the details are there. There's no big, um, there's no big uh, submission based. Uh, we actually don't even, it's funny. It's funny you use the word <laughs> submission. We just call them entries because uh, I'm a big guy when it comes to um, the submission based opportunities for playwrights, I think, has become a little too monolithic. Um, and the weight that we put into them has become uh, maybe just a little, little, a little too important. So we're trying to buck that system a, a tad. So we just call them entries. We don't want anyone to submit to us. Uh, and but all you have to do is send a, uh, send a play, and we'll read it. Awesome. Uh, I'm sure one day when we're getting hundreds of you know one day when we're P73, we'll need to get tons of people reading. Uh, who I love, by the way, I do love P73. And when we're um, I don't know. At that level, we'll need tons of people reading. Uh, but at the moment, we've got a, a small enough crew. We'll read the play. Uh, and if it's right, we'll try to find a time to program it. 
if it's not, a, you know, there's a few plays where we're like, look, this either isn't for us because it's just maybe a little too rough or once or once or twice, very rarely will a play not align with our mission statement. If, you know, if they fetishize like poor people or kind of cast them in a negative light that doesn't humanize them, we'll be like, this is not for us. Uh, but you just got to email us. Email, email us a script. Fantastic. So let's talk about Godzilla vs. My Ex-Girlfriends. What is this play? What are we going to see? Uh, well, I'm happy to to say, I'm happy to confess that for the sake of the fundraiser, it has evolved almost into a, a, a devised piece where I just sort of created the structure, the bare bones, and all these wonderful actresses have taken these bits and really created, we're creating the momentum on its own. But the premise is basically that while Godzilla is rampaging across New York City, uh, the character Josh, obviously based on the playwright Josh, Ducks under some rubble and uh, quickly learns that every woman he runs into seems to who's fleeing Godzilla is an ex-girlfriend, someone he dated. Uh, And he quickly learns that they're all merging into one um, creature called Mecha Mega Sarah. Oh, God. Because I've dated like five Sarahs in my lifetime. And that that Sarah Kaiju is determined to destroy both Godzilla and New York City and force upon the galaxy forced polyamory. Fantastic. That sounds that's like fun. The villain's motive. Fantastic. And how many drinks should people have while watching this show? Oh, they should drink. It should be a, it should just be we we were I'm contemplating asking Dixon Place cuz Dixon Place doesn't usually do if they have nothing in the lounge. It's only a 50 minute show but I'm like we almost should build in a quick break just so people can go out and get more drinks. Yeah. It is a show that will be enjoyed with I mean it All right, can you attach a drinking game to it? Oh, that's a provocative thought. I've not thought about that yet. That's a very good idea. Why not? Get everyone drunk, get Dixon Place more money, and maybe you'll get a little more money too. Yeah. Uh, that's a good insane. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not forget, <laughs> forget that one. Uh, yeah, we're happy. You know, I love Dixon Place. It's in the. So, what had happened was is that I think a lot, months ago, probably when I was still doing my show that was last year at Here, I submitted. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do next after Who Mourns for Bob the Goon. And I think I submitted this show to the same series that I submitted Bob in the idea that I might develop it into something big. At the moment, once I started working on it, um, there's only a few places after Dixon Place that I could probably see it ever going, if anywhere. So most of us decided that as artists, we wanted to still do it, but um, to lower, to, to really embrace the Works in Progress series, uh, to just have fun with it. And because the cast is so robust, I'm very delighted everybody's volunteering their time. And that, again, that's how it kind of evolved into using it as a more of a fundraising opportunity. Because in terms of like a future of a sh- as a show, you know, it's not, it's, it's not going to be at the roundabout. You right. know what I mean? Like, it's just not that kind of piece. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, but that's the premise. It's very, it's very silly. Uh, I'm trying to think of – there's really nothing – to compare it to stylistically, it's very vignette. It's it's not like sketch comedy. I'll say that much. It's it's a play, sure. Um, but it's it's absurdist. Uh, it's uh, poking fun. It's all about poking fun at me. Um, one of the the designers in the show described it as uh, an entirely feminist work that totally fails the Bechdel test. <laughs> Predominantly because even though of all the 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 characters and what these actresses, wonderful people, have done with this. The material, it does sort of all revolve around, you know, the character of Josh. Sure, so sure. it's like, by definition, it fails the Bechdel test. Uh, but I'm proud of it. I'm proud of what we're all doing. Um, 
I legitimately think people will crack up. I don't think anyone who has ever dated anyone, regardless <laughs> of gender or orientation, uh, and it's a very, it's a, it's very, it's very, uh, very LGBTQ friendly. Uh, you, you quickly learn, uh, you know, uh, no spoilers, but you quickly learn about uh, a lot of things in this show. Um, so it's very much like uh, just a very. Fluid. It's a very fluid show. Fantastic. Yeah. So let's say that the fundraiser goes perfectly. Where do you see the Playwriting Collective going next? Uh, that's a good question. So we might start doing, we have an annual writers group. We might start doing that twice a year. Um, what I see next for us is keeping our, our writers group going and our reading series going, of course. And then mostly just adding um, sh more productions. Uh, our next production is going to be uh, Philip Christian's uh, play of Philip Christian's. And then uh, after that, we'll probably um, do a show that came out of our writers or readings or writers group. And then, uh, right. So pardon me. So the writers group comes next, but then the goal is to within a, within our three to five year plan, ideally is to have uh, to do two to three shows a year with, one of those shows always being sort of a rotating playwriting collective family member. So a show of mine, a show of Phillips, a show of uh, one of our core members or board members, because we're all playwrights. Sure. Uh, and then balanced with a show that emerges from our writer's group or reading series. Um, yeah, that's always our, our goal. So that we always have new, we're always supporting new playwrights and uh, supporting our own work, um, uh, certainly, and, and balancing both. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Could you put a number to the amount of artists you've worked with? Oh my god! Um, no, I, I, I give me a minute. And I'll think about it. But, <laughs> but 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 like broadly, not just playwrights, like playwrights and actors. Sure. Oh, it's already been in the. It's for sure been in the hundreds. Because That's awesome. If we've had, oh yeah, for for sure in the hundreds. I mean, we've. I mean, just last year alone, if we had, we had thir twelve or thirteen readings. A huge show, Who Mourns for Bob the Goon, that was at here, um, that that had a huge cast and crew. So just last year alone, easily, we would have worked with, with all the different actors. I mean, some of these shows that are in the reading series have 10, 15 people. Then we had a writer's group. We had a fundraiser that had people volunteer. Easily last year alone, we had over a, 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 easily over 100, 150 people uh, involved. So when you add on top of that, I would say... I'd say we're under we're under 500. Sure. So between 200 and 500. It's hard to tell. You know, there's a lot of people like do you, stage direction read. I mean, there's so <laughs> many there's so many people who get involved in the work. Um, but we're a pretty we're a pretty broad network. We're pretty proud of it. Do you have any dream collaborators? I have dream. You know what? I was, being in New York for a long time, I've really grown to. I don't. You know, I've really grown to admire. Um, certain venues and production companies. So, in terms of collaborators, I I won't put any I can't you know I won't put any names on the spot. But you know I really like the work that is done um, at P seventy three Rattlestick EST. I mean I assume all of your audience knows these people knows these places, but um, not you know not not necessarily, uh, especially if they're playwrights. Um, the Lark playwrights realm. Um, I like the work that you see a lot at the Cherry Lane. I, uh, I like New York Madness. Uh, I'm a member of New York Madness. 
In terms of theater companies, obviously, I love. Um, I mean, in some of these places I've already worked too, so I'm, I'm also just at this point shouting out places that other people should like. Yeah, do your research, people. Um, Exquisite Corpse Company, uh, uh, Lesser America um, are, are two of my favorite companies. Uh, Pipeline, uh, a lot of my friends, t- you know. Um, again, I'm not. I'm like, I, I'm not going to name people that are my, you know. But but these are these are places that if you're these in New York, doing things. Yeah. Um. So some of these are people I've already worked with, uh, or either as a company or individuals from those companies. Um. I. But if you had to, in terms of dream collaborators, let me really think. I did already have a dream come true, and that we had a really talented puppet designer work on Bob, which was James Ortiz from The Woodsman. Uh. I want to work more with um, Caitlin Weiss. She's directing a reading of ours. I'm trying to think. I don't know. What about you? I mean, it's a. I'm sure if I thought about it in terms of dream, dream people I want to work with. Uh, I mean, obviously, a big thing of our company too is finding new people. So, like, I can talk yeah. about people. I mean, I've. I should also mention that's why I'm able to name all those. I've been doing. You know, I've been here since nine, since '99. I'm no spring chicken, so. Uh, um, you know, and I, and I was mentioning places that are more within our realm. I suppose in a, in a perfect world, uh, I'd love to, you know, work with, you know, Playwrights Horizons or, or uh, Lincoln Center. Um, in terms of people, there's always, you know, there's too, there's too many people out there who think, you know, tons of people are, a lot of people are legitimately <laughs> hot shit, so they don't need me to name their names. A lot of people know they're hot don't shit. Don't need to uh, make more ego out of Yeah, you're, you're doing fine if you're listening to this. Whoever you are, these theater makers, <laughs> you're fine. What is your writing process like? I, you know, it's evolving. Um, I don't make any rules for myself other than I do try. I can writing is like a almost it's it's a lot of things for me. It can be meditation. It can be storytelling. Um, certainly, when I get to the playwriting phase, it's it's storytelling and it's storytelling for a purpose, a purpose to connect with an audience. Uh, I think. The process for me is if I have an idea, even if it's on the if some, because I have a lot of stories in my heart that I want to tell. I, I've lived a, a life that I find um, that I, I really, you know, I feel like I have the potential or capacity to connect with certain types of audiences and I want to. So if I have an idea, I think the first thing to say is not don't let it escape. Too many people, I can't tell you how many people say, oh, I have this idea for this story. And they don't ever write it down, and they just talk. You know, you've gotta, you've you've gotta write. Even if you write down the idea, and then after that, just write. And whatever the the, the sometimes the the format will match the, the the method will match the play. Sometimes, like Godzilla versus My Ex Girlfriends had virtually no structure to how it was written. It's I think I first started writing it in two thousand and twelve or thirteen, and I finished writing it in like twenty fourteen or fifteen. It's an old play. Sure. Uh, I. I Stopped writing it after I had stopped dating. Uh, so, but then shows like um, like my play School Bus Witch Hunt that I just got done had a reading having a reading of. Uh, I like I forced myself to sit down. I, ha- I forced myself to write an outline to figure out the story because it was a story about um, and, and a poor part of living in West Virginia. A white student on a school bus is accused of calling a black student the N word, and the kid says, "No, no, no, I didn't say it." And the school, which is a prestigious Catholic school and has a no-tolerance policy for racism, is trying to get the kid to say he said it no matter what. And the parents are forced to either capitulate or stand by their son. Um, 
And of course, in the, we figure out if he said it or not. You know, you, you got to see the. You know, you got to. Right. You got to. I won't say any more. But uh, that was a show because of the content um, that I made sure to sit down and force myself to write and be very structured. Um, a show like uh, the execution and the so some shows are like I wrote the show called the execution and the rapture uh, that is a, a, about an execution an execution chamber. That was a little different, where I would write a... I think I wrote, like, a full first draft in a week, and then I mostly was through revisions. Sure. Um, the biggest thing is just if you have the idea, even if you don't... You've got to f- feed the feed the plant. you got to water the plant. No matter what the style is. So if I have an idea, eventually I will water the plant. How do you stay theatrically active? Jesus. Uh, I'm... I'm, I'm I, 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 I'm First of all, I'm blessed in that my day job, my, my my day job currently is at the Museum of Modern Art, where I mostly do editing. But I came out of I worked at the Guggenheim Prior in their theater theater and media arts department, and then before that, um, so my my trade and I'm in IATSE. So I've been lucky. I mean, certainly sometimes it's just been sort of working working class stuff. But in terms of the design and the stuff that didn't pay as much, I was always pretty blessed in that uh, it kept my ear to the ground with the, the theater world. So I'm lucky in that capacity. I don't do it as much now. Um, but so in the, in terms of design and being a technician, my day job, it keeps me pretty close to the theater world company stuff. Um, I, I'm always theatrically active, uh, producing the, I'm the lead producer and the president of the company. Uh, the other artistic director handles much more of like the actual reading and he's like the literary manager, but in terms of the mechanics, it's pretty much all me. Um, and then. I just, I don't know. I I think a lot of it's just Genesis, like like knowing you. I mean, uh, we did ECC, and then I did Rhapsody, and it just keeps going. It just evolves over time. Uh, and again, I've never, I will say this, I have no, I have no personal life outside of doing theater stuff. Not, not many people do. I just don't. That's like, okay. You know, all my good friends, uh, you know, I mean, with a few exceptions, are people who are, I've known for 15, 20 years, yikes, uh, but that are sort of in the same boat. Um, and then I just try to make the only, an interesting caveat to that question is that the task then becomes to force yourself time to still be creative and imaginative. We can get so caught up with the mechanics and the business and the politics of sure. it that you don't sit down and, and indulge the creative or imaginative side. Yeah. I mean, for me, I had, a, and for me to write again, I literally had to take a class where I had an ESPA, to, right? You took an ESPA uh, class. Yeah. Um, where I was forcing myself to write because I couldn't find time to do it on my own. I mean, I was writing things that weren't creative. Critiquing is not necessarily a creative writing task, but I was still seeing things, but I was like, I need to be able to do it myself as well. So I was glad to, last fall, to have ECC and ESPA at the same time to really like get my ass into shape again. I like Espa. Uh, through I, I've met a lot of strong connections through Espa. Uh, I think Espa is a good, a good, a good spot. Um, and I met Brooke Berman through Espa, who's yeah. a playwright, and I love Brooke Berman. So we're gonna move into the fun portion of the uh, interview. This is great, but you're really good at this, by the thanks. way. Yeah, I this mean, is this is. You should be proud of yourself. Thanks. I've I've been I'm learning how to do this. You're slowly. great. Slowly. Yeah. Thank you. Well, where is your favorite New York City hangout? 
God, you know what's really my? I mean, honestly, God's honest truth. It's probably my home, but I should find a better <laughs> a better answer for that. Um, although there's a small victory in that. No, I live alone. After many years of having roommates, I was able to have a place on my own now. It's in the Bronx, it's in a neighborhood that I love. It's like a, just a, a lot of people who are like me, so I'm very happy. Work people who are like work work their day jobs. There's no, I believe deeply in not shitting on anybody, anything, including hipsters. <laughs> but I, I, desperately, especially in the theater, people do that too much in our business. People find an opportunity to shit on someone or something. And I always say, you got to try to find, even if you, I don't like a play that I saw, I'm like, I, I appreciated that they tried this. That said, I'm glad I don't live in sort of a, 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 a hipster-ish area. It's it's much more uh, just a working class uh, neighborhood. Nice. Um, there's not a lot of like, artisanal cheese shops around me. Oh, God. Which is great. Um and that's how, again, having been here, I mean, moved here when I was 17, and, uh, you know, uh, my Spanish is okay, and uh, I, I, get, I prefer that. It, it reflects my background a little bit better, so I get along in those areas much better. Um, so I'm very happy, but, sorry, that was a whole, so <laughs> my point is that there should be a little victory in all of our homes, should be yes, places yes, we love yes. to be. Uh, if not that, I would say if I have to get away, um, and the places that still exist, by the way, some places that I used to love, uh... I love Papaya King. Papaya King has the best veggie hot dogs in the city. Um, the library, if I had a chance to go somewhere, where do I go? It's probably still a coin toss between the park uh, and maybe the Lincoln Center Atrium. Those are nice, nice spots. And if not, a movie theater. My, if I have to decompress, if I have the time, which I rarely do, so it's it's a, a real miracle from the day I was born, I mean, maybe not that far, but the going into a theater, uh, especially if it's a time when there's no one around and seeing a movie, uh, and that's that's my number one. That's my joint. That's my nice. jam. I know you're a runner, so where's your favorite place to run? Central Park, for sure. And what about your favorite piece at MoMA? Favorite work of art? That's currently up or ever? Let's go with ever. Uh, you know, Everest is still the piece that was, that came and went before, uh, uh, it was probably the, the, this is, there's a completely strange and illogical philosophy behind this, but it would still be the Tim Burton retrospective. Nice. And, uh, the reason why is because, um, it's, I have a deep affinity for the 89 Batman. Uh, it's the first movie I can very clearly remember seeing in the theaters. I saw it with, um, uh, my family. And uh, seeing movies was uh, comic books are a great love of mine. Movies are a great love of mine. That movie particularly is a great love of mine. So I think that will always be. It was also um, a first date for what ended up being one of my longer term and, and relationships that I uh, it was ended up being a sort of a more meaningful one. Um, so it always it'd be the Tim Burton retrospective. Uh, Beyond that, there's been plenty of art pieces that I've 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 thought were were good here, but that's and I and that was before I ever worked here. Nice. So we're gonna move into the pop five rapid fire. So we're gonna give you five pop culture ish type things, and you're gonna give me the first word response, whatever comes to mind first. You ready? Let me take a breath. Let me just give me a second. All right. uh, okay. Yeah. Number one, brunch. Can't do it. Yeah, I mean, it take, I have to like plan like a month in advance for me to have brunch with my family. It sucks. Number two. These are, does it be one word or can it be phrased it like can that? Be phrases. Okay, great. 
sentences, whatever you want it to be. Okay. Number two, Central Park. Love it. Number three, the MTA. Apocalyptic. You don't use the MTA at all, do you? No, I cycle. I, I, uh, I cycle. Um, and I think the MTA uh, should be ashamed of itself. Yeah. I think it's a, I think, I think, I think if there's ever a trigger when there's a boil, I think when our society reaches a boiling point before we literally start cannibal, cannibalizing one another and what will be sort of a, an apocalyptic New York world scenario, the, 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 the spark that sends it in motion will be the MTA. I wouldn't be shocked. All right. Number four is Melissa McCarthy as Sean Spicer. Genius. It's absolutely, I, I think broadly SNL, I've not enjoyed it for many years. I think it's kind of bland or milk toast for the most. Sorry, I'm doing the thing I said I shouldn't do. Um, she's genius, and I think that her work, especially, has heightened SNL uh, more so than it has been heightened in a few years. I, I would agree. I think I haven't seen last night's sketch, but she's a genius. She knows what she's doing. The timing. It's. It, I was not. I was not underselling. I think that is legitimate. I think her performance as Sean Spicer is a ge- genius performance. Yes. All right, and number five is Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Oof. Um, unimaginative. I will. I won't shit on things, but I don't know if you saw it. I haven't seen the trailer yet. As an editor, as soon as the trailer came out, um, I was very underwhelmed by it, and I wondered why. Again, I desperately try to find things that are positive, but as a in terms of my trade as an editor. I realized why I was underwhelmed. It's the exact same trailer as the first two teaser trailers for um, The Force Awakens. And so immediately it took me less. And this is actually a real testament to how cut and paste that trailer was. I just took that trailer. It's actually on YouTube, uh, the channel Totoro vs. Batman. I took the new Jedi, Last Jedi trailer and um, did a comparison to The Force Awakens trailers to show everyone... Um, that it's just literally the same beats, the same moments, even including a Luke Skywalker voiceover uh, from shots of Captain Phasma walking um, in atmosphere space, in atmosphere battleship battles, uh, spaceship battles um, and uh, everything. It was the same beats. And so I became very frustrated because it worries me that, you know, Star Wars, I think is could have the potential to be very special. So when they sort of, um, Whoever was responsible for this trailer should really be really be kind of disapp- um, should really rethink them rethink their choices because it was a very unimaginative way to roll out new footage for a movie that I think people are genuinely curious to see. Do you think it was a formulaic decision to do it that way? I am even more worried if that's the case because that means that now at this point, I mean, we all know that it's all sort of pop sugar. They put it into a machine and generate it. It comes right. out the other side anyway. Um, but that also means for me that in the arts, you know, the, the arts have now become like be, being a doctor. So I go to school and I go to middle school and I go to high school and then I go to college. Then I go to graduate school and then I'm an editor and I get hired by Disney and Disney gives me the material and I put it through this template because this is what I've been trained to do. And it's like the for me, it's like the old Dire Straits song. You know, they know all the chords, but it's about someone playing the guitar. You know all the chords, but you got to make it cry or sing. Right. So whoever this person was to cut this trailer up, even if it was sort of a paint-by-numbers thing, I'm like, but then that means it's no longer art. And I'm fine with there being a similarity between entertainment, art, and even being from the corporate world. Like, Disney can make art. 
But that trailer was not art. That trailer was a cut and paste. Someone throwing something at us. Nice. Well, every podcast, what I do is I have the previous guest ask my next guest a question. So this is a question from Daniel Kelly. His question for you is, what is the American dream? Uh, It's funny. Um, I think the American dream is to be able to achieve your aspirations and some version, some realistic version of your aspirations and goals in a way that has you feel fulfilled and contributes broadly to society. Um, That's what I think the American dream is. Nice. That's a great answer. Yeah. Now is your turn to ask my next guest a question. Uh, you know, and that is why I, I've that's that's how I remember that I've heard this podcast because I've heard this before and I didn't think uh, right off the hand, top of uh, what is the um, in terms of the question, I would say what is someone's worst? I don't want to be negative. Let's see. Uh, the ne- the question for the next guest is. What is your happiest memory of a vacation? All right. That's a good one. Happiest memory of a vacation. I like that. Well, if you've gotten this far uh, in the podcast, please use hashtag Godzilla fundraiser. Where can we find you on social media? Where can we find the collective on social media? Um, I have a, I have pretty good, I've landed on this. I have pretty good branding for my social media. I'm Toter over. I have a handle across Instagram, um and Twitter and a few other places. I'm always Totoro versus Batman, so Totoro versus Batman or Joshua D Young, uh, and then the Playwriting Collective. Um, our, if you type in the Playwriting Collective, we'll come up. But our, our uh, Instagram is the Playwriting Collective. Our Twitter is just Playwriting C O L L, because you know. Sure, sure. Um, but everything else you can website. just website. Yeah, theplaywritingcollective.com. We have pretty good again, pretty good. Uh, you know, luckily I actually branding. Yeah. I was in my 30s by the time I got to all this stuff, so I had already learned the hard way about doing this. So, Well, Godzilla vs. My Ex-Girlfriends is going to be Friday, April 28th at Dixon Place. Hope to see you there. 10 p.m. It's a real party kind of hour. And buy your drinks. Yeah. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. This is great. Thank you to Josh for coming on. Don't forget to visit our Patreon page for information on becoming a patron. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. If you have any questions or comments, drop me a line at theaterthenow.com via our question link. Until next time, I'm Michael Block, and that was Block Talk. Block Talk.